Good evening. This is Patrick Donahue. Appreciate you listening every week at this same time to Bible Crossfire. We like to mention quite frequently, John 8.32 says, You shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Talking about being made free from sin. Only following the truth will make us free from sin. How do we know what the truth is? Well, Jesus said in John 17, 17, sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. So the word of God defines for us what the truth is, the truth that will set us free from sin. What does that mean? False religious teaching won't set us free from sin. Two plus two is either four or five or six. All three answers are not correct. Religion is the only field where people can preach different things. And then somebody will come up and say, but they're all right. Even the Baptist church, for example, will say, the Bible teaches baptism is immersion. So the Methodists are not correct when they sprinkle for baptism, but they'll say, but the Methodist church is right anyway. So so on that particular issue, the Baptist church is saying two plus two equals four, but those who say two plus two, or five, uh, two, plus two is five are right anyway, even though they got the wrong answer. And that brings us, me to the point of tonight's lesson that we started last week that we're going to talk about till we get our first call. The majority is usually wrong. We saw that from Matthew 17, 13, and 14, where Jesus said, Enter ye in at the straight gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction. And many there be which go in thereat, because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. This idea that two plus two could equal four, five, and six, and all the answers are right, that contradicts the point of this verse. That's just saying everybody's right, that the way is broad. You don't have to understand the truth to be a, a true follower of Christ. According to that, the way is so broad, anybody can go this way, even if you're not on the straight and narrow. Jesus said in John eight thirty one. If you continue in my word, then are you my disciples indeed. We have all these people out here claiming to be disciples of Christ, different churches teaching different things. And Jesus said, well, you're really only my disciple if you continue in my word. The majority is usually wrong, according to Matthew 7, 13 and 14. You know, the majority agree with Andrew Farley, who's another broadcaster on Sirius XM channel 131, the majority agree with Andrew Farley on once saved, always saved. And I quote, I'm quoting, it he, quoting uh, Mr. Farley here. Can a Christian stop believing and forfeit their salvation? No, a Christian cannot forfeit or give up their salvation. Of course, he just asserts that. He cannot prove that from the Bible. That's just wishful thinking. It's wishful thinking on his part. You've heard that expression. Somebody believes something because they want it to be true, not because the evidence uh, tells you it's true. I want it to be true that after I become a Christian, I can live any old way I want to and still be saved. That's what Andrew Farley's teaching, wishful thinking. He can't prove that. Of course, I've challenged him to public debate. He will not public debate publicly because he knows that these positions that he, take, he takes, he cannot successfully defend them when there's going to be somebody there to respond to him because he knows he can't successfully defend his positions from the Bible. Then he shies away from public debate. That's what he said. No, a Christian cannot forfeit or give up their salvation. But how about Hebrews 3, 1, and then verse 12? Before we read this, I'll make this statement. There's, there's almost on every page in the Bible, there's at least one verse that proves conclusively 
that once saved is always saved is wrong. Just look at any verse of the Bible. If you'll read the whole page, you're going to find one verse that proves it is true. And there's not one single verse that indicates once saved, always saved is true. Everything indicates that it's false. Here's Hebrews chapter 3, verse 1. Wherefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our profession, Christ Jesus. So we know he's talking to Christians here. He doesn't just call them brethren, meaning of the same race. He calls them holy brethren. Holy, same Greek word is sanctified. Cleansed. These are brethren who've been cleansed from their sins. They're partakers of the heavenly calling. Only a Christian has partaken of the heavenly calling. And he gives them a warning in verse 12, these Christians. Take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. So the once saved, always saved folks are saying it's impossible for a believer to become an unbeliever, to develop an evil heart of unbelief and depart from the living God. But the writer of Hebrews is saying not only is saying it's possible, he's he's warning them against it. You don't warn people in Huntsville, Alabama against sharks. There's no billboard signs in Huntsville, Alabama near where I live about sharks because we're not near the ocean. You don't bother to warn people about things if they're impossible to happen. Why would God be warning these Christians, clearly Christians from verse 1, don't develop an evil heart of unbelief and depart from God if that's impossible to do? That doesn't make any sense. And the people who teach once saved, always saved, know it doesn't make any sense, but they're going to teach it anyway because they want to live any old way they want to and still be saved. It's all wishful thinking. If you have a Bible question or comment, the lines are wide open. 877-655-6755. The number to call if you have a Bible question or comment is 877-655-6755. How about James 5, 19 and 20? Brethren, If any of you do err from the truth, the New King James says wander from the truth, and one convert him, let him know that he which converted the sinner from the error of his way shall save a soul from death and shall hide or cover a multitude of sins. Talking to brethren, it says if one of you wanders from the truth, if a child wanders from the house, that means he was at the house, he left the house. If a brother in Christ wanders from the truth, that means he was in the truth, he left the truth. The directive is to us to try to convert that person back. If we're able to convert him back, we save his soul from death and we hide a multitude of sins. The implication is, the necessary implication is that if he refuses to be converted back, his soul's going to die and his sins won't be hidden. It won't be covered. It's not that he's going to die physically. His soul's going to die. He's going to be spiritually lost if he's a Christian and he errs from the truth and he's not converted back. How can you get it any clearer than that? You tell me, if God wanted to teach once saved, always saved is false, how could he have said it any clearer than those two passages we just looked at? If you have a Bible question or comment, give us a call, 877-655-6755. The lines are wide open. The number to call is 877-655-6755. If you have a Bible question or comment on this or any other Bible topic, How about Revelation chapter 3, verse 5? Jesus speaking here. He that overcometh the same shall be clothed in white raiment, and I will not blot out his name out of the book of life, but I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. What's the book of life? Well, it's mentioned eight or ten times in the Bible, Old Testament and New. It's the list of the names of all the saved people. For your name to be in that book, you had to have been saved. Only Christians are in that book. Those who have become Christians, those who are born again, those who are saved from their sins, they're in the book, book, the book of life. And Jesus says, if you overcome, 
temptation, persecution, I will not blot your name out. The implication is, is if you don't overcome temptation, your name will be blotted out. And if your name is blotted out or erased out of the book, that means your name was in the book and now it's no longer in the book. And if that's a list of the names of all the saved people, that means you were saved and now you're lost. Now that's pretty clear and there's no way to get around it. As a matter of fact, though the majority believe once saved, always saved, but they're not willing to publicly debate the issue because they know they can't successfully defend it with God's word. They know that deep down, so they're not willing to publicly debate it. These verses are crystal clear. George from Washington, go ahead with your Bible question or comment, please. Well, I'm just, I'm listening to you and Joanne listening. I'm traveling in the state of Washington. So you're reaching way up here in the Northwest and I'm going down Interstate 84. And Are you I'm listening on my, ACN or Sirius XM? I, I don't have a clue. By the way, my name is George. And I, I don't even know what your name is. I just listen and join it. What's your name? Your first name? Patrick Donahue. Oh, so they call you Pat or Patrick. I don't want to. Both of miss. them, either one. Okay. Okay, Patrick. Here's what I'm thinking. Okay. So I go to John chapter three, which I learned when I was a boy. And Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ, of course, it says to Nicodemus, it is uh, foregone. It behooves you that you must be born from above. And Nick right. says to him, and Nick, I know you know the story. I'm just repeating it so you know what I'm thinking. Um, yeah. And Nick says, or, uh, Nick says to him, wait a minute. Can I crawl back into my mother's womb and then be born? He said, I can't believe you're a teacher in Israel and a member of the court of last resort. And you're asking these silly questions. And I'm thinking to myself, uh, Patrick, I was born of my father, and I can deny my father. My father can deny me. He can say I'm not his son. I can say I'm not, I'm not his son, and we can have a falling out. <clears throat> and I have had relatives that have done that, but didn't change a thing. It just put, if I would do that to my father, I would be under God's judgment for having violated the fifth commandment to honor my father. And I believe in my heart and from what I see in the Bible that if I deny God, he'll take me to the woodshed and he'll put a whooping on me as his son that I'll never forget. And he's a perfect father and he will straighten me out. I've had people say to me, Patrick, well, you say once saved, always saved. I can go out and do anything I want. And I say to them, well, you just go ahead and try it and see what happens because he's a perfect father and he'll straighten you out. Uh, So, George, yeah, I'll listen. I'll listen. Go ahead. If you disrespect your father and quit uh, treating him right, quit obeying him, is it possible for him to disown you? Sure. So, so God the it. Father, yeah. God the Father can disown us also. Like, for example, in Second <clears throat> Chronicles 15, verse 2, George, this is in the Old Testament. He says, it's talking about our relation to God. It says, the Lord is with you if you will, while you are with him. And it says, if you forsake him, he will forsake you. So if you forsake God, he'll forsake you. And we just read a verse that implied that if you don't overcome temptation, your name's going to be blotted out of the book of life. So it's not a matter of what we think. We can use all kinds of human reasoning, George, and I appreciate your call. All kinds of human reasoning about God will straighten you out. But actually what the Bible says is he will disown you. You will, it says you, James 5 puts it this way. Your soul will die if you err from the truth. He will blot your name out of the book, Revelation chapter 3, verse 5. And Hebrews 3, 12 says it's possible for a believer to become an unbeliever and depart from the living God. 
Galatians 5, 4, George, read this way. Christ has become of no effect unto you. Whosoever of you are justified by the law, ye are fallen from grace. So the Baptist church's official position is you can't fall from grace. But here's some people that had fallen from grace because they were trying to bind the Old Testament law. George, you can't fall from a tree unless you're in a tree to start with. Here's some people that were in grace, which means they were saved. They fell from grace. They lost their salvation. Thank you for letting me talk, George. Go ahead. You have some... You would, I'm oh. sure you can have some follow-up. Go ahead. Oh, whoa, sh- sure. And I'm fascinated. Of course, this is the subject Erasmus said to Martin Luther. No, Martin Luther said to Erasmus, you've hit the nail with your head, he said, in essence. This is the point upon which all the difference between Romanism and Protestantism turns. Whether man has the power of a will to separate himself from his father. And if my father disowns me, and I disown my father, I haven't changed a thing. He's still my father, and I can't change that. I could go to court, have him declare otherwise, and it's still not true. Right. Because right. God George, but made that's, him... That, what you're yeah, saying yeah. is true, George. George, what you're saying is true, but it's totally irrelevant. The fact that you admitted your father could disown you, you just admitted in the parallel that God can disown us and will disown us, which we, means we'll be lost. So it's irrelevant that you're still going to be a son. What's relevant is that he will disown you, and that proves my point. Ed from Canada, go ahead with your Bible question or comment, please. Hey, how you doing, sir? Go ahead, Ed. How you doing? I'm doing well here. So I, I'm I, I, I just first-time listener. I just was true cruising down the road like my brother there who was uh cruising down an i-40 84 or something like that there and i'm uh i'm in uh in chilliwack here british columbia and cruising down the road just like him so uh anyways i want to quote a scripture to you if i may please sir and it comes from jeremiah 30 32 i believe in verse 39 uh for this is what the lord says just as uh, hold on a sec here. I want to make sure I don't have my. I want to make sure I got. I'm reading this right from verse 39 and 40 um, in here on my on my tablet. I had to pull over it actually. Yeah, to actually Ed, go ahead and make you. your point as but, quick as possible. Go okay, ahead and make your so point as quick as possible. What, I, I will. I will put in you. Here's what it is. Is what he's saying is I will put the fear of you so that you will never leave me nor forsake me. And that's, that's what God is saying. I will do the work, right? And then in John, Flip, sorry, in Philippians 1, 6, and in 2, 13 as well, he that began a good work in you shall be faithful to do that. So I'm Otherwise, looking at Jeremiah you, 32, 39. Uh, it, it says, I will put my fear in their hearts that they shall not depart from me. That's th- Jeremiah 32, right. 40. Okay, that doesn't right. mean, that doesn't mean, that it's impossible for them to depart. Like, let me give you an illustration. The football players, right. college football or pro football, wear a helmet mm-hmm. so that they won't get injured. It doesn't mean that it's I impossible it. to get injured. It means they wear the helmet to try to keep them from being injured. When he says, I will put my fear in their hearts that they shall not depart from me, that doesn't mean it's impossible for them to depart. That means it is possible for them to depart, but I'm going to put my fear in their hearts so that they won't. Like a football player wears a helmet so that he won't get injured. Okay, right. So, and what you're agree, you're agreeing with me that they won't depart. No, no, I'm saying, I'm saying that they can depart. Just like you put a mm-hmm. helmet on a football player so that he won't get injured, 
it means that he can get injured, but the reason we're wearing a helmet is to try to keep him from getting injured, but it proves that it's possible to get injured. So that verse, when he says, I will put my fear in their hearts that they shall not depart from me, it means that God's going to put his fear in our hearts so that we will not depart. That proves it's possible to depart. Else he wouldn't need to put his fear in our hearts to try to keep us from departing. See, so it actually yeah, proves I'm, the very I'm, opposite of what you're saying, Ed. Vince from Louisiana, go ahead with your Bible question or comment, please. Yes, I was uh, wondering about the uh, Ten Commandments. I was wondering about the Fourth Commandment. Uh, back yep. in Jesus' day, they worshipped on Saturday. Okay, yep. are we supposed to keep the Sabbath on a Saturday? or did So let me read to, to you, Vince. Colossians two fourteen through seventeen. You ready? What what is it? Colossians, Colossians? two fourteen through seventeen. Oh, fourteen here through seventeen. Okay. Yeah, it's talking about Jesus here, and it says, "Blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. And having spoiled okay. principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing uh-huh. over them in it." Let no man therefore judge you in meat or in drink or in respect of a holy day or of the new moon or of the Sabbath days, which are shadow uh-huh. things to come but the bodies of Christ. So this passage uh-huh. is saying that Jesus blotted out some ordinances, took them out of the way and nailed them to the cross. And he gives us four categories. The daily, that's the meat and the drink. The yearly, that's the holy day, like Passover, Pentecost, Feast of Tabernacles. The new moon is the monthly. The Sabbath is the weekly. So he specifically points out the number fourth commandment of the 10 and said, this commandment, the Sabbath commandment is no longer binding because Jesus blotted out verse 14, took it out of the way and nailed it at the cross. Does that answer your question then? Well, kind of, uh, you know, the, the 10 commandments was given actually in Eden uh, well, and later on to Moses. Okay. But so back then, even Jesus did it. On the, on the, on Saturday. Yeah, but so, so the Ten Commandments the, were not given in Eden, but that's irrelevant. This verse says that the Sabbath has been blotted out, taken out of the way and nailed to the cross. It's specifically mentioned this Sabbath law has been blotted out, taken out of the way and nailed to the cross. So when Jesus died, the Sabbath law became no longer binding. So I mean, that's what it says. By any of the Ten Commandments present? Okay, so nine of the Ten Commandments, commandments. nine of the Ten Commandments are, we're under the New Testament law, the law of Christ today. Nine of the Ten Commandments, like don't kill, don't steal, don't commit adultery, are in Mm -hmm. the New Testament. But the Sabbath is not only not in the, bound by the New Testament, the law for today, but it's specifically mentioned as being abrogated here in Colossians 2, 14, 17. Now, Vince, you asked the question. Now, okay. love you and not trying to be ugly, but what you need to do, you need to accept the answer. God's given you the answer, and it, there's nothing unclear about it. It's not ambiguous. He mentions the Sabbath. He said it's one of the ordinances that was nailed to the cross, blotted out, taken out of the way. There's nothing unclear about that. It's just a matter of whether or not we love God enough to accept that. Phyllis from Virginia, go ahead with your Bible question or comment, please. Yes, i like to know. Is there, uh, my husband and I have leprosy, and uh, I was wondering, he's going to be a little bit 84, and I'm the son of that. Um, I was wondering, is there a special place for people like us? You have leprosy? Yes. Okay. 
I don't know of a special place. There are a lot of rules and regulations about leprosy in the Old Testament, but I don't recall any in the New Testament. If you really have leprosy, you you probably would do well not to uh, to to try to keep away from people so that they don't catch it until you're healed. But they have drugs that will treat leprosy today, unlike they didn't in the Old Testament, but they do today. Yeah, Thanks for your call, Phyllis. Thank you for your call, Mike from Arizona, go ahead with your Bible question or comment, please. Good evening. Thank you. Yes, I'm in First Thessalonians chapter 1, uh, verse 10, uh, it says, They also tell you, tell how you're waiting for his son Jesus to come from heaven. God raised him from death, and on the day of judgment, Jesus will save us from God's anger. Well, I don't know. It's a kind of a theory, I don't know, kind of a theory question, but why Why does God, Jesus is God, and why does God have to save us from him? So, I mean, I know he set up the sacrificial deal with the blood of bulls and goats and all that, but that wasn't enough to do it. But Jesus is. But why did God invent us to, you know, to be saved from himself? It's kind of weird. So, so he, the answer is found in Romans three twenty three through 26, among other places. Okay. When we sin, we're separated from God. God wants to, God pardons, it says he justifies the believer in verse 26. But then it says, well, okay. let me read 26. It says, declare, I say at this time his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus. So the, there's a dilemma here. How can God pardon our sins? He's already said in a number of ways, different ways, Mike, the wages of sin is death. How can he just forgive us and all of a sudden now, it, he's not going to give us the punishment that we deserve and that he says he's going to get us, give us. How can a God like that be respected? How can he be just? Well, this passage teaches is because Jesus redeemed us with his blood. He takes the punishment for us. That's in verse 24. He redeems us with his blood. So because of our sin, we have we deserve the wrath of God. But because of the death or the blood of Christ, we can be forgiven and escape that wrath. Jesus, in effect, is taking the punishment for us. So we're saved from God's wrath by the death of Christ. Mike, only those who trust and obey Christ take advantage of this death, though. Does all that make sense, Mike? Does that answer your question? Yeah, yeah, it does. I, I just, it's just, it's just a weird thought, strange thought to me that our creator, you know, I mean, right away we, we blew it, you know, with Adam. If it wasn't Adam, if I was there, it would have been me, you know? Yeah. I mean, that's, prob uh, that's probably right. If it wasn't Adam and Eve, it would have been me. That's right. It, that's right. Yeah. So, so God so is completely just and holy. So he cannot countenance sin. So when we sin, we separate ourselves from, from him and we cannot solve the problem. God knew that from the very beginning, even before he created us, because the, First Peter 1, 18 through 20 shows he came, he comes up with this plan of salvation that Jesus is going to redeem us with his blood. It was from the foundation of the world. He knew we were going to sin evidently. So even before he creates us, he, he creates the, he comes up with a plan to save us from our sins. So because he's just and holy and he cannot countenance sin, he has to have a way to forgive us of our sins so that we can get back in fellowship with him. And the only way that can be done is through the blood sacrifice of Christ. Thank God for that. But, so God created heaven and hell and everything in between, including Satan. He, yeah, he created every bit of that. Everything was created by Christ, through the, God through Christ, Mike. Created, 
yeah, created good and evil, God. heaven and hell, and Satan. He created Satan. He created Satan, right? and Satan tempts us to do evil. I don't know that I would say God created evil. God created Satan, and Satan tempts us to do evil. Anyway, I'm going to have to let you go. i got to get off the air. Thanks for your call, Mike. All right. See ya. Uh-huh. All right. Appreciate y'all, everybody listening tonight. If you would like to have a free one-hour phone Bible study with me sometime at your convenience, I want you to call or text me at 256-682-9753. That's 256-682-9753 if you'd like to have a free one-hour phone Bible study with me. Also, let me mention the website for BibleCrossFire.com. You can go to BibleCrossFire.com and listen to this program live. Maybe you don't pick up SiriusXM. Or you can listen to any program I've done in the past going all the way back to July 2015, all the archives. You can send me a message to ask a question. You can look, get a Bible correspondence course, request a Bible study, get on my mailing list. If you would like to contact me, 256-682-9753.